Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, Greasers. I hope you're having an okay week. Uh, if you have been enjoying the show, please do rate and review and subscribe. I know I always ask that, but it really does help other people find the show. If you've done so already, huge, huge thank you. It is much appreciated. Um, this episode is a bit of a uh, special episode because November is Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, you might not know that, but it is. As I'm sure regular listeners will know, my dad died of pancreatic cancer and I have worked a lot with PCUK and PCUK. CRF, who are two amazing charities working in the UK to raise awareness and research um, of pancreatic cancer. Um, it is the fifth most common cause of cancer death in the UK, but it receives barely any funding compared to the others. And PCUK have launched a new campaign called Demand Survival Now to run in association with Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. Because basically, despite huge progress in the diagnosis and treatment in recent decades, pancreatic cancer remains the deadliest common cancer. It is eight times more deadly than the other common cancers like prostate, breast or bowel cancer. Now, obviously, I know there's not a hierarchy of cancer. And if anyone has cancer, any type of cancer, it's awful. But pancreatic has had such little research. So lots of people, there's not... 
a lot of treatment for it. There were no screening programs or early detection tests and very vague symptoms such as back pain, indigestion or weight loss. So that means tragically pancreatic cancer is detected too late to save lives. One in four people die within a month of diagnosis, which is pretty crap. So PCUK are asking the government to recognise pancreatic cancer as an emergency and act so that we can transform survival. If you head to www.demandsurvivalnow.org.uk, uh, you can share the petition and you can sign it and obviously spread the word on social media and just help raise awareness of what is a pretty dreadful cancer as myself and a lot of the guests we've had on. Which leads me to the guests we're talking about this week. I am talking to actress Olivia Williams. You'll recognise Olivia. She has been in so many things. She was in uh, Emma, Jane Austen's Emma TV adaptation that uh, I very much enjoy. She was in Rushmore. She was in Sixth Sense. She was in The Heart of Me and Education. She's done loads of TV. She was in a big Josh Whedon series called Dollhouse. Um, Yeah, she's in a new one coming out called The Nevers that he's doing. She's a theatre actress. She's incredible. She's absolutely amazing, amazing lady who's worked consistently for many years and absolutely brilliant performer. Olivia came in to talk to me about her dad, but also to talk about her journey with cancer. Olivia was diagnosed with a form of cancer in her pancreas, so not pancreatic cancer, but she's one of the few people who was surviving her cancer because it wasn't officially pancreatic cancer, which is why she's talking to me this week, especially to launch Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with actress Olivia Williams. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, Olivia, I'm... You've been in so many things. <laughs> I have been around a while. Around uh, yeah, I mean that in a nice way. <laughs> no, so. no, I'm a cook. But, you can't offend me on the age <laughs> or prolific. But I was thinking, like, I was looking on the way here, like, of things you've done, and it, it's really, it's really broad. And I feel like you're almost a dangerous actress because it's the kind of career that someone at drama school would be like, see, you can do all these things and still, you know, just like exist off acting like it's an incredible career that you're that you've had that you still had yeah I mean I I do when I'm asked to go and talk at drama schools and schools I am you know don't I never get asked back because I say (laughs) you know this is an anomaly it was bizarre I can't tell you how I did it and I don't know that this can be replicated I just hit (laughs) I was like the mosquito that hit a vein you know at various because you've points. not been pigeonholed either. That's why I was looking at everything you've done. And it's, it's well, you you might feel differently. <laughs> but I feel like, you know, sometimes people get, they get, they're stuck in theatre or they're stuck in film. And even though you can think they're brilliant, you can see they're kind of playing the same things. Whereas you've done so much theatre, so much film, so much television, lots of interesting roles. Doesn't feel like you've done period stuff and modern stuff. I, of course, remember you as Jane Fairfax. <laughs> Thank you for remembering that production. <laughs> of I, I think it was a really, really beautiful version of it. Thank I am you. in a Jane Austen show. I do a show called Ostentatious, ah, which is an improvised version of Jane Austen, a comedy version of Jane Austen, which you must see. I must see because um, I'm you, you'll enjoy it equally. So we have watched the canon many oh, times. Okay. But yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, Jane Fairfax is a is a great character. She's brilliant, yeah. and and a, I think a couple of novelists have attempted a kind of spin off novel about yeah, her because she's yeah. so interesting and so enigmatic, yeah. and such a passionate dark horse. Uh, you know, that's what, what I like about you. Know, you the whole time you're like, we don't really know Jane Fairfax. Yeah, she's got a double life. Yeah, she, she's getting it on with Frank <laughs> in the background and pretending she's this ice maiden. I know. 
So I've got to love her. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I'm obsessed about Jane Austen as well. And I did a, a sort of biopic. Everything I do seems to... I At one point in my career, I was making the second movie of the great breakout directors. And there yeah. was another time when I was making the same show at the same time as much more bigger stars. Um, so yeah, we did, um, we did our Emma at the same time as Gwyneth Paltrow did hers. And yeah, yeah. I did Miss Austen Regret at the same time. And yeah, uh, I, uh, I, uh, quite a lot of people sort of say I loved you in Becoming Jane. I was like, no, you didn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong Jane Austen. Wrong one. <laughs> yeah. That's the trouble that if you're into the Austen canon, mm. I also blur them in yeah. occasionally. Like I'm like, especially if it was a TV one, because mm. like, was it BBC? Was it ITV? Yeah. What were they in? Like, yeah. And the costumes, obviously, mm. just all blur into one. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from that one they did recently, this is really geeky. The one they did recently, last year, a couple of years ago, it was the early one. Mm. Sorry, this is so geeky. And they went, all the costume was really modern. As in it was like, when I say modern, I yeah. mean like... Not strictly speaking to the... To do you know what I mean county. by modern? I mean 1790s, yeah. not 1814. That's how much a geek I am. And that's the only one I can separate. Yeah. Anyway, that's... Roger Michelle's Persuasion is my definitive, the best oh, adaptation ever. That. You have to. Is that the BBC one? I don't know which channel it was on. It's, it's an old one. It's old. It's Roger Michelle oh, directing I've seen, I've Persuasion. i clips, yes. And it, it's not a foot wrong in casting wow. in emotion in I mean it's just beautiful it's beautiful and he has a he has a complete anti-wig fetish so oh. no one's allowed to wear wigs no one's allowed to shave no one's allowed to go in and have their hair redone after oh, every take and nice. so it is it's real but it's not fakely gritty it's yeah, still yeah. Jane Austen it's still uh, kind of intellectual gymnastics that she has which suits persuasion very much very much and I think that's very cool to to like persuasion because we always say when I'm talking about it because I have to talk about it a lot I'm always Mm. like PMP is your gateway drug but the connoisseur yeah Likes persuasion. Go to it. Go to it and watch (laughs) Sophie Thompson eat a pork pie, and you have Sophie Thompson playing. She's genius. Oh, I love her so much. She's genius. I can't believe I haven't seen that one. Yeah, go, go now. Okay, I'm going. I'm going now. (laughs) It's perfect Um, pregnancy material. Sadly, we're not remembering Jane Austen. No. Although we both Although easily we do. could yes. do our, yeah, that's my, that should be my next podcast. Um, so who are we remembering today? Uh, I'm adding to the list of, of and I think largely women, uh, remembering <laughs> their dads, uh, my father, Graham Williams. Graham Williams. Yeah. That's a very classy name, Graham Williams. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of women talking about their dads, but I think that's okay. That's, that's so good. And I think in the this age of patriarchy bashing that, that um, those paters who were, uh, supportive of women need to be shouted out for his christening present to my daughter was a copy of Mary Wollstonecraft's <gasps> Declaration of the Rights of Women. What a cool man! Cool dad. Cool dad. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. It just took me back to my um, my grandfather. Like I think just gave you know a spoon or something. <laughs> But my grandmother, spoon. <laughs> yeah, my grandmother used to sit me aside and try and always teach me bridge, and I could never ever learn it. And she always used to say, "Carrie, you have to learn it for when you get married. Your husband will bring people over, and you'll need to play bridge." This was like, the, and I remember thinking, "This doesn't seem like a strong enough reason to learn this incredibly complicated and boring card game." I had a similar a grandmother experience. She taught, <laughs> she paid for me to learn to ride because she thought I would meet the right sort of young man. What she didn't know is that. 
by my generation, riding would become the preserve of posh lesbians. <laughs> and I met a lot of really interesting, tough posh lesbians oh, wow. riding horses all over the world, but um, never oh, any suitable great. men. Yeah, it was a very, I very... I didn't meet any cool lesbians at the bridge club, I'll <laughs> tell you. It was really boring. Lots of no need to make a fuss, you know, women yeah, yeah. who'd been sort of attacked on horseback by a lion. And, uh, yeah, they were very cool. So remembering Graham. Graham Williams. Yeah. So um, when did Graham die? In 2013, November 2013. 2013. So how, how long? We, it, it, it's 2019 now and heading towards November. So So you're coming up for the... Oh, don't you do maths? I know, both of us are looking. I was like, Olivia, please don't <laughs> make me do it. I'm mathematician. Six. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 18. Six. Six, yeah. God, I love plus three thinking, is nine. Thinking, Please, you do it. Don't make me do it. We're both as bad Panic as each other. Yeah, across the table. Because normally someone always does it for me. They look yeah. at me like, "God, she can't do that." Yeah. No, six, I knew Karen. last year it was five, but I hadn't quite got round to the next <laughs> no, one. No, that's fine. So six. Oh yeah, coming up very very soon. Yeah. So how are you feeling about um, six years? Is it has it changed particularly, or it's changed hugely? Um, this is going to get very nerdy very quickly, but I was doing a, a play that I love called Mosquitoes by a genius called Lucy Kirkwood, which was about oh, yeah, yeah. Um, physics and the Hadron Collider. And, and I met a guy I knew from Camden Town where I grew up. I was on my bike and he was biking the other way and he jumped off his bike and he said, if you need any help with explaining physics um, and time and, and planes of existence and um, parallel universes, you know, I'm your man. <laughs> and uh, well, I, that is not what old friends normally shout. No, I'm, I'm he's very, very clever. Dr. Dan Glazer. <laughs> and he explaining science to the public is his thing. And then I told him that my dad had died and he described this extraordinary phenomenon that he believes in that if you imagine a line with a dot in it and that dot is the point of death of someone you love and you're on one side of the line moving say to the right and your memories of that person are on the other side of the line moving to the left mm. and as you move to the right it, away from the point of death you remember your loved one as they were when they died yes yeah and then as you get further along the line they move further along the line in the opposite direction and you remember them as yeah. they were when they and you were younger and mm. younger and that's really happening i'm getting many more memories of my dad now as he was when i was a, a young child um whereas he'd been sick for 12, 14 years wow. when he died and I we were all overwhelmed with the um, grateful release yeah, theory yeah. of grief um, for a long time because yeah. uh, he he was done really. It's so common and I, I get asked that a lot of people going oh I can only remember them sick mm. and I'm always like it will pass because I had that as well like I because he he was sick for not a very long time, but it like burnt into my memory and he went very yellow and he was just walking around the house looking like, you know, a sick person. And it's all I could see for a couple of years was yeah. a sick person. And then you're right, suddenly you, you get this flash and they're healthy. Yeah. And you think, oh yeah, they were healthy, weren't they? And it's such a nice place to get to, isn't it? After yeah. all, like illness has been like, you've just been breathing in illness. So yeah. um, what did he die of? In the end, he died of a heart attack, but right. his, he had, I mean, again, his sense of humour was still just about functioning. Um, 
you know, his list of ailments was wow. just astounding by the time he died. He was always celiac, which has become very trendy now, but he had it first <laughs> and, uh, and had colitis. But then he had a heart attack uh, in 1999. Um, and instead of spending the millennium, you know, having a reunion with people I'd known, yeah. as I'd said I would at, on, in Trafalgar Square, we were all in UCH uh, around oh. his bedside. And then recovering from the heart attack, he had a stroke, which <gasps> made him limp. And then he had can- the lifelong colitis and celiac caused um, cancer in his colon. And so that was massive complications. So yeah. he just... It, he was like a roller coaster. He'd get better from one thing and then plunge down wow. the roller coaster. But he was such a fighter and he was so bloody minded. He just, you know, he and my mum went travelling after he was sick. He was like sort of Henry VIII. They hitched <laughs> him onto a donkey and he went down Grand Canyon on a donkey after his stroke without wow. any guts to speak of, you know. I mean, just mad, mad. Um, so he was very determined it wouldn't stop him. Absolutely. Doing anything. Yeah. And and um, we've talked a bit about um, in the family about the sort of letting go thing. And I and in a way, I, I wish he'd let himself go mm. a little bit. Yeah, it's true. Sooner. My dad was like in complete denial, mm-hmm. like the whole time. I said it was very brief, but yeah. like it, he was planning trips you know lying in in the hospital and it was like dead the next week but he was telling us to book flights and things and I remember my mum getting really frustrated Mm. and that's been ironically a big thing with my therapist Mm. (laughs) of the frustration of not being able to get to someone to say like it's okay Mm. like this is happening we we want to talk about it the living people but Mm. you can understand I guess that yeah they I guess if he was a strong, healthy man all that time, it's just like, no, this is not happening. There were things he wanted to see and things he still wanted to do. But where the sign really was when one of his incredible gifts that he passed on to me was the ability to see joy in really small, simple things. And right at the end, he lost that. He stopped taking pleasure in these, you know, like you know, watching leaves fall or, or uh, you know, the sound of the rain on cobbles, you know, just kind of, he, he was, he had a really beautiful sense of the beauty in the small thing. But the night he died, he, you know, he's, my mum says, you know, what he said to her, he was feeling very unwell. He said, whatever happens tonight, I, I love you very much. So oh. I think he knew that, yeah. that was, it was, that was the last so were right. you with him when he died or that is a tricky one. I wasn't with him. My my husband and I had been in Venice for our wedding anniversary which again is very mixed up with my my dad first took me to Venice. He loved Venice. It was like one of his magical oh, places yeah, yeah. that he um he introduced me to and I painted a little watercolor for view from the window of our hotel room and and emailed it to him while I was there and we went to this church that he loved he took me to it was his favorite place called San Zaccaria in um, Venice and I was sort of desperate to go there we'd gone and looked at the uh, architectural biennale my husband and I 
And I just said, I just want to go to San Zacaria before yeah, we go. Yeah. And we literally went on the way to the airport to wow. get the boat. And I went in and did that very Italian Catholic thing of putting money in and lighting a candle. And we flew home and we went to bed. And for some reason, I looked at my phone and, I, and it was ringing and it was my mum. And she said, actually, I think it was my sister. And she said, go to mum and dad's. Dad's not well. And the flashing light was outside the house and mm. I went up to the bedroom and they were trying to revive him. And so I th- I think I missed him. I, I mean, he was, I think yeah. he was gone. Yeah. But they were still, you know, there's that thing. They, they asked the most bizarre questions. <laughs> like, was he expected to die? And I was like, look at, you know, he had um, 10 different yeah. illnesses. He was in his 70s. Yeah. You know, don't try and bring him back. But yeah. I, I, I think my mum wasn't ready for him to go. And in the panic of the moment, she's going, no, no, he wasn't ready to die. Yeah. He wasn't ready to die. And and I was going, let him go. He was very dramatic. And I was going, let it's him go. It's so hard. And I like now I've, I've read lots of books about you know, how you can plan and how you can sign a do not resuscitate mm. and all this stuff. But it's only through doing this podcast that I'm even aware of these yeah. things. And yeah. I think because we don't talk about it, and I guess especially their generation, mm. you know, it, it's very difficult to bring up the idea of like, well, if anything happens, maybe just that's it. Yeah. And I guess if he, so he was at home as yeah, well. Yeah. The thing is, I think when someone's in hospital, mm. you're all very in the mindset. Mm. Okay. Yeah. We're in hospital. We're this is yeah. not, you know, like when my dad went in, my mum was like, he's not coming out. This yeah. is it. So I think, yeah, if someone's at home, there is still that kind of tiny bit of hope, isn't there? Of like, well, he's at, he's yeah. not in hospital. Hospital's where people go to die. He's at home. Yeah. So maybe he's okay. Yeah. yeah. And it, well, and bizarrely, when someone dies at home and they're not expected to die, yeah. it becomes a crime scene. And so these extraordinary wow. people turn up, you know, the police turn up oh and they um, and they take, you know, your loved one off in a body bag to, oh a, to a morgue for, uh, for uh, you know, a coroner's report on Even how it happened. Even though he was so sick. Yeah, uh, yeah. That I mean, that's just it, that's just what happens. Wow. So you know, we had the you know very all very everyone could see that it was unlikely that we'd yeah, tried to bump something, him off. <laughs> yeah, something <laughs> but, happened. Um, you know, they still had to sort of come in and take particulars, and and I can't fault any everybody was delightful, and everybody you know the ambulance men and the women who who tried to revive him behaved beautifully, mm. and um, and I got to sort of hold his head and say stuff uh, that I think was quite mad. I think they looked at me oh, my as if say, is she crazy? But I She's got an to actress, sort of, yeah, exactly. Let her do this. I was sort of Lady Anne weeping out. <laughs> I knew all the lines. Absolutely. Why not? That is exactly what we are supposed to do in that moment. And yeah. everyone should leave us to it. And, uh, and I can remember thinking, do I want to see this? Because I know I'll see it in yeah. my mind's eye for the rest of my life. But I thought I had to. I had to. So I did get to say goodbye, but I think he was already gone. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it's still, it's it's almost like it doesn't matter. It's for you. Yeah. You need to see it. You need to say it. Yeah. And I think sometimes we have that kind of logic part of our brain that's like, oh, why, am I, why am I doing this? Yeah. But I always talk about the fact that after he died, I went back in the room mm. and opened the door mm. to make sure he could get out yeah. <laughs> from the French doors. Yeah. And I, met, I talked to my brother about it recently because I thought we all went back in and mm. we didn't. Mm. I was the only one that went back in. Again, the actress mm. is here. Let me, yeah. <laughs> I need my moment. And my brother said to me, he was like, I just didn't, 
you know, it, it wasn't my dad anymore. It was yeah. just this thing. And I was like, yeah, I, I suddenly thought, oh, it, it mattered to me that I went and said those things and said goodbye. It's, yeah. it's, and I think sometimes it's the thing we're, we're sometimes like, maybe it's a British thing, we're sometimes too practical with ourselves. Oh, don't yeah. be silly. Don't, they're gone. What does it matter? And it's yeah. like, no, maybe you just need to. Maybe it is silly, but you need to. Yeah, so I wanted you to be that. sentimental and I wanted to say... Mm. Things and I did want to look at his face, you know. Yeah. I did want to, and I, I couldn't. Anyway, I did go back in the room, and then, um, however long it is afterwards, we, my mum, who is Catholic, wanted to, you know, do the big viewing the body in oh, the wow. yeah. in the funeral parlour, which that that I did feel was, you know, Graham Williams had left the building, but yeah, um, yeah. but I'm I'm glad I was there the night he died, even though I'm not sure I was there when he died. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It resulted in this bizarre thing. This is only could have happened to an actress because the um, the my mum quite reasonably wanted to know where they were taking him. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this black body bag, and they said, "Well, look, well, the morgue in King's Cross is being refurbished, so he's he's going to Poplar." Right. And I've been in Poplar Morgue, <laughs> in a in a fridge, on a zinc bed, and it's like, oh, I've been there. <laughs> and why have you done that, Olivia? That's I'm an tell. actress, and I played a dead body in a cop show as one of my early jobs. Oh my and god! And so the guys were carrying, look completely bemused, and because it, it was sort of out of my mouth before yeah, I realised. It's like, yeah. oh, I've, yeah, I know that fridge. You can't help yourself. Oh yeah, yeah, I've done that. We yeah. filmed there. Yeah. And then my mum, who's just my agent and publicist and the, yeah. you know the proudest mum ever but you know she's an actress you, you may have seen her and, <laughs> and got into this conversation <laughs> of telling the people carrying my father's body out the front door what shows I've been in <laughs> and, and, um, and the sixth sense yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. you think you're yeah. joking yeah. but actually um, I think that may have come up um, <laughs> so but, you were um, in a TV police drama show yeah yeah and um, you had to be oh I mean that is at my actual fucking nightmare like yeah. I am one of those actors who'd be like nah you know what I don't think I can do that job because <laughs> to go in a oh I couldn't do that Olivia I couldn't well when you I'm take the job you think it's going to be done on a set don't you you think they're going to build uh, a course, set somewhere yeah. in a studio but you I know have to be finances morgue. were <laughs> being so what they were we were morgue. in Poplar Morgue and I had had the full um you know, plaster cast of my face. So they oh, built the because I, I, my character drowned, so it was swollen, and uh, so I had a full sort of rubber. Mask Even on. worse, that's my other nightmares when they do that face thing. Yeah. I can't bear it. And they put like Thames mud in my hair, so I have to be wet. And at the weekend, they turn off all the heating in the morgue. At oh Poplar. my god, it's getting worse. It was a nightmare, and and they had to put me in the fridge and. And then film me being drawn out of the fridge. And though I wasn't next to dead bodies, but I could see some down the end. It was sort of L-shaped, massive fridge like a room. And they're down, all the trays around me were empty, but there were some down the end with some feet with labels on. Oh my God, Olivia! I know. And they pull me out of the the fridge for the identification. Lovely Jason Fleming had to identify my body. And I was shivering. And and so the director is, "Um, could you stop? Shivering, I was I'm like, fucking cold. Well, the point is that's an involuntary reaction yeah, yeah. to being cold. You know, like, I'm in a fridge. The, the key being involuntary. <laughs> yeah. um, and so some uh, one of the sparks, <laughs> bright spark, had the idea of putting a light under the zinc bed to 
warm me up. <laughs> so my arse was sort of frying <laughs> on this thing. <laughs> and like my nipples were still like wing nuts oh, like, sticking out no. through them. But I did stop shivering long enough for the shot. Anyway, after this grim early job, um, I staggered back and I, you know, to my shame, still lived with my parents. And, uh, you know, there was my mum and dad with a hot toddy and sort of leftovers of Sunday lunch because it was on a Sunday going, you know, darling, you know, this, you know, it'll be all right. It'll be worth (laughs) it one day. career will turn, take a turn for the better. And then my poor old dad uh, ended up in the same in the same fridge. That's so bizarre. So I think I must be the only person who's been to a fridge before and come out and then... Yeah, because most people don't... Yeah, that's fair to say. Once you're in the fridge, you're not really getting up out of the fridge. Yeah. Oh, my God, living, it must have been so surreal it was and that and that was you know it was one of those situations as I said with my mum and me at the door and my mum going into the career pattern with, yeah, yeah. with the sort of stretcher bearers <laughs> uh, that was surreal and we had a laugh about it that night uh, you know and my dad would have enjoyed you know the one thing he always did and which we do as a family is turn everything into an anecdote yeah yeah and um he would have loved that yeah i mean it's a really good one <laughs> and it is about the only time in my life where i've been somewhere before my dad because yeah, my parents yeah. were really big travelers and so every time i go anywhere exotic they've yeah. always been there before but yeah, yeah, not yeah. to pop them all <laughs> i got there first uh, yes so then you have the funeral and did you did you speak at the funeral or anything like that? I did. Again, course, like actors, many of your yeah, other yeah. actor actor interviewees, um, I did speak and I write a bit as well. So I wrote about him and but I'm tried to incorporate things again, some of your other interviewees have said, you know, and a lovely turnout of my friends and my mm. sister's friends were there and lots of things that people had written I'd managed to incorporate. Well, a wonderful actress friend of mine called Anastasia Hilly wrote that he was a an establishment bohemian an establishment bohemian you know he was a lawyer and a QC and a recorder which is the type of judge but he also was chaotic and artistic and and very humorous parts of him which which being a lawyer doesn't really represent and um <laughs> They had my parents had a had a house uh, with a flat at the top. They and many many of my actor friends passed through that house, and many yeah. of them were there. Uh, all had to sign tenancy agreements, was a bit, <laughs> which was a bit puzzling for them at the time. Um, but, what a great solicitor! That's perfect. Yeah, yeah they yeah. they they weren't going to uh, have any people, you know, uh, claiming that they could stay endlessly, but. Um, they generously and um, joyfully entertained many of my friends at the end of the garden. <laughs> and so how did you find that initial... So you've got kids yourself. Yeah. So how did you find that sort of period of, OK, he's, you know, he's now dead, I'm grieving, but I still have to be a mother and for these children and carry on and be... In, I guess you were still working, like... How was that sort of first year? Did you find it difficult or how did you cope? It was hard. I mean, we were a very close family, my sister, my mum, my dad and me. And and a lot of it was centering around my mum and, and, you know, she'd lost lost her life partner. And I still have this thing, which is the lovely connection I have with friends who knew my dad very Mm. well. It's like there are very few people who understand how amazing he was and, and that... 
And sadly, my husband really only met him when he was declining and my children didn't really know him. Uh, Although I'm so happy that they did know him and they grieved for him. They were sad. But they, I was like, no, you don't understand why. Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. It's really hard. I had that with my grandpa that, because my grandpa was a solicitor Mm. and a real character. Mm. And it's so hard sometimes when you tell a story and everyone's like, oh, right. And you're like, no, you you don't understand what it's like to be in a room with them. It was... In magic, yeah. it was something else. And even though he was a very flawed character in many other ways, <laughs> I discovered later. Yeah. It, it, I know that frustration when you're like, oh, you that's the shit thing about death. Like, yeah. you can't really conjure someone up sometimes, yeah. can you? And, and the idea, I mean, I, I've just decided, as I have with many things, is I just have to do the things in honour of him yeah, and yeah. trying to force my poor children to appreciate, you know, <laughs> Phoenician Renaissance art and, you know, and, and Persian rugs was his other obsession. <laughs> Um, he used to take me uh, to Sotheby's to the the wow. auctions of Persian rugs. And oh my god! The, one of the things that he loved, his ha- one of the happiest moments of his life was that these auctions at Sotheby's are are full of um, Persian rug dealers who yeah. like the guys who really know from a lot of them from you know Iran and Iraq, and yeah. they have shops in London, and they all bid for their for the rugs. And my dad always used to go and come back with another rug the house was covered in they were on the walls on the tables on the floors and um, one time one of the really classy dealers came up and said where is your shop and the fact that he thought my dad had a Persian rug shop was just like yeah so that's so sweet it yeah. was like I don't even have one I, one. I just I love them I just love them and, and collect this man them. was like where are they stealing these <laughs> rugs from me yeah picking all the good ones oh so yeah um, so that yeah just those things that he would, you know, if I had an afternoon off school as, as as I got older, you know, we'd go on a little outing and go and and uh, bid for a Persian rug and go to a museum and see an obscure wow. show about, you know, early Renaissance art or something. He sounds like he was very involved in your life, like in a really... Yeah, like in a big way. Yeah, know? I mean, you know, some might say unhealthy. <laughs> there are <laughs> no. some bad boyfriends who, you know... I think that's nice. I think that's threatening, but... I think that shows real love. It yeah. shows real love to, like, express your passion and take your child with you and not be like, oh, you know, I don't want them there, they'll be annoying or they won't understand it. Like, right. it's so easy when you see parents distancing themselves and it sounds like... Yeah, that really love, and I think as a child you feel so special, don't mm. you? You're like, oh wow, yeah. I'm kind of, like Included. my grandpa was very good at that as well. Like, yeah. you know, I'm going to take you to see yeah. this thing because yeah. I think it's interesting. You're like, oh, I don't know what it is, yeah. but okay. <laughs> like, and I wanted to love it if he loved it. Yeah, um, of course. But and, and the other thing that he was brilliant at was organising holidays. He would plan oh, holidays. Well, yeah. But then when we were, we used to go to the south of France, and he'd always look out for posters for like circuses or a fair. <laughs> And we'd end up going to these awful you know, sort of seventies fairs where they would sort of where, you know, the plate spinner had holes in her tights oh and fell God. off the galloping pony and you know but they they would make him laugh. The worse it was, the more he enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah. And I have one friend who still says when he does a play, like he used to invite my dad because my dad's laugh, you could hear it oh. from the stage. And they they tried to get me to play the violin when I was young and I was hopeless at it. But I was in a production of Peer Gint at the RSC and um, it was a... um, a production where you were on stage all the time and oh, I was playing lovely. a troll and we all had to play musical instruments and early rehearsal 
John Barton, this god of poetry and uh, directing, said, you know, does anyone play a musical instrument? And I was like, yes, I play the violin. <laughs> so there I was on the RSC stage playing the violin. My dad knew how shit I was at playing the violin. <laughs> And every time I picked up that violin, he roared with laughter. Whether it was a funny scene or a happy scene or a sad scene, all the way through Alex Jennings' Peer Gent, he just, every time I touched the violin, he just... Here she goes. Yeah, here she goes. And he, he literally was sort of saying, I can't believe people are paying £30 a ticket to listen to you play the violin. That's so funny, yeah. Lily. But That's while so being nice. so supportive of my career. Yeah, yeah. But just like the, yeah, the way only a family can support you. Mm. I love you but you know you're awful, awful at that, that. <laughs> you're like yeah. no I'm not no, I'm... the director hasn't said so and everyone's like yeah I get that sense maybe other people think this as well that's hilarious but he was also supportive of my friend you know he he was a he was judging in Nottingham and my dear friend Lucy, I'm doing big name drops away but Lucy Price shout out to Lucy Price who's also lost an amazing dad and um and she was in a play she was in sort of she stoops to conquer oh, yeah yeah and after court, he bought a bunch of flowers and he was used to take his bicycle on the train. So he had his bicycle, at, which was a fold-up bike and a yellow waterproof anorak and a bunch of garage flowers. <laughs> and he went around to the stage door of Nottingham Playhouse and someone went into Lucy's dressing room and said, there's this really weird guy <laughs> in a yellow mac with some garage flowers who says he knows you. And it was my dad. <laughs> and he took her out for dinner and to her for a curry in Nottingham. And, you know, he was just a generally... He, he If he was somewhere, he wanted to do something in that place, yeah. of that place. Um, and I just want to communicate that curiosity and joy in things that in things whether they're great or small yeah, yeah. to everybody. But I think you, you will. And that's the thing is like, you know, your children are teenagers so I'm sure they're rolling their eyes at you now but like it it does get passed on you know and then like you said like now when you're you're older and you want to look at Persian rugs and go to Venice <laughs> I'm sure there's a time in your life where you're like not another Persian rug and I think it, it just it does get part that's all you it's all you can do and I sort of come to this like obviously a very hippie conclusion thanks to my parents but like that all a parent can do is is love a child so much that when they're gone they still feel that love yeah and that's kind that's you can't really there's not much else you you know you mm. can do you can't control you know you give them money they could ruin it and burn it <laughs> lose it like but if you can just love them so much that eventually they can walk away and go yeah, I, I did feel loved, even mm. though they're not here anymore and I don't get to hear it and they don't get to tell me. Yeah. And it took me such a long time because we had, like, a difficult relationship and obviously I didn't have a lot of time with him. But I can walk away going, yeah, I, he did, I definitely knew he loved me. I definitely feel that still, you know. <laughs> There's mm. other issues. <laughs> no, but it's difficult. I mean, I, I feel that so strongly for you when... My, my husband's mum died when he was 11 and it was unspeakable literally he couldn't say the word mum oh. when we got together you know <laughs> in in his late 30s yeah, he hadn't yeah. dealt with it at all but to lose a parent in the middle of that incredibly tricky time you know yeah, 11 yeah. was young but 15 you know you know, I had a stinking row with my daughter this morning. <laughs> <laughs> just thought, and you know, you go, is this, 
is this what you want to, you know, leave? Is this where you want to leave this relationship? It yeah. must have been it's unbearable. Yeah, it's very tricky because you've left, I, and I always say this, like you've left mid-conversation. Yeah. And that's very frustrating is that, it was mid-concert. You are mid-argument, mid-shouting, mm. mid-slamming a door. Mm. <laughs> but both of you know this isn't this isn't how I really feel. You know, yeah. this is just how I feel at the moment. So I think that's what takes... And it's so... I mean, I, I'm i not a trained person, as we all know. Mm. But the, everyone I've spoken to who's lost it young mm. doesn't deal with it till about 30. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's so common because it's like, I think you just... You just can't. Like you said, you can't really... You don't have the words. You're sort of stunted in this bit. And then I think you sort of get to like late 20s, 30s and you think, I think I can look at that now. Mm. And I think I can acknowledge like, oh, you know, it was mid-conversation, but that's, you know, Mm. that's sad, but it's okay. I can deal with that. But yeah, it's... It is. It is difficult, but like it's. It sounds like he just loved you so much. That's all you can hear is just how much love. And that's just... For a man of his sort of... His traditions and upbringing and generation you know he was not someone who was emotionally constricted and I can remember at drama school there was an incredibly annoying teacher (laughs) who assumed because I had been to Cambridge and speak the way I do that I was emotionally stunted Mm. in some way and you know Listen, he was an 80-year-old... He was old enough to be Prussian. That, you know, you've got to be really old to actually have been born in Prussia because it Fair hasn't play. existed for yeah, a long time. Yeah, yeah. So the following phrase doesn't represent him in a terribly good light. But he said, you know, what you really need, Doc, is to go out and get raped and really enjoy it. And it's like, for, for a million reasons, that is offensive. <gasps> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but Welcome the to the time, past, everybody. The People could say things like that to drama students. Yeah. Welcome to the past. Oh, my God. But the the thing I chose to take offence of at the time is you think that, you know, I'm emotionally repressed. Yeah, and yeah. I may be middle class and I may speak like a twat, but <laughs> I was not raised by emotionally crippled yeah, parents. Yeah. You know, my father was demonstrative. He'd held hands. He completely supported his daughters to do everything that a son might have done. yeah. yeah. And, you know, he was cycling along the towpath as my sister was rowing, you know, shouting encouragement. And he, yeah, so I just, as a feminist, I just want to celebrate him. You know, my mum had a, a a flashier and more kind of noticeable career and a high earning career alongside his um but, you know, which was, he was, you know, his head of chambers and did very well. But he he was, if there was someone who he could talk to who would further his career, he would turn on his heel and walk away from them. You know, he had that kind of Yeah, I know that um, sort of, and you sort dignity. of think, yeah, yeah, it just doesn't, it's not in their makeup. And in care. the sort of apprenticeship generation yeah, where you yeah. know, put yourself forward, tell everyone how great you are. Yeah. You know, he was this person who didn't believe in that kind of self-promotion and yeah. I just I don't I hope it's not a value that's that's passed that's yeah. gone I don't think so I don't think so because I think although we do live in a world of self-promotion <laughs> I just think not everybody works like that mm-hmm. and not everyone's brains function like that yeah. and also it's it only works in that sphere you know in social media sphere mm-hmm. yes but like the rest of the world can't doesn't always exist in the, under those laws, no. and, you know. So I think, yeah, it's not something that's that's gone yet. Mm. And like you said, he's obviously embraced that, you know, got that into you, and mm. you are now passing that on to your children. Doing and... my best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, but it's 
it is it's funny isn't it I think what you're saying about the voice is really interesting I have a similar thing if you sound like this <laughs> people make so many assumptions about you and again my family are like very hippie very emotional mm. plus my mum is working class which mm. always throws people very very upset about that because <laughs> they'd like to go oh I know who you mm. are and especially at that time it does sound like especially being a judge and all that like mm. yeah mm. it's unusual that he was so demonstrative and feminist and yeah. What he sounds amazing. He well, <laughs> I I mean, he was. It was demonstrated, as I s- said at his funeral, mm. by this the temple church, which uh, is the church within the temple where all the yeah, barristers yeah. go, was you know absolutely packed out and full of people who he just touched on their lives, and they all just said that he. He had, was always pleased to see them and he was never, you know, again, there might be an assumption of sort of snobbery and, you know, he wasn't a snob. And in his, uh, when he was head of chambers, there was a lovely woman at the funeral who said he was the first head of chambers known to allow breastfeeding during chambers meetings. Wow. And, you know, he loved little babies. He loved little babies. Not some men I have heard say of his generation, you know, I've got no time for babies, you know, yeah, where yeah. I, when they can kick a ball, then they're of interest. <laughs> you know, and, but he, he was fascinated by yeah, yeah. newborns and he just held, like, I have a picture of him holding, thank God he survived to see, meet yeah, my children. Yeah. Um, looking with such love and fascination at my kids. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's the thing to remember, like, even though they didn't know him in the way you knew him, mm. this it's not, yeah, the stories exist and mm. they knew him, in, his character was pro- still there. But mm. I understand that mm. frustration, I think, comes from, like, feeling like a child again, isn't it? Like, no, they're brilliant. Yeah. I want you to know. Yeah, yeah God, he just, <laughs> he just he sounds funny. Great. <laughs> sounds funny. Great, Graham. Good on you, Graham. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Adloyd. So you yourself are currently facing a, a situation. Would you mind telling us what's happening with you at the moment, which is why another reason that we're talking we're about connected. your own grief, yeah, connected yeah. with this. Well, I feel connected to you because your father died very, very swiftly of pancreatic cancer. Um, and I was diagnosed um, a year and a half ago with a cancer in my pancreas, which yes. is not pancreatic cancer. Yeah, because it's to specify now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because um, it's they're... called a neuroendocrine cancer, and actually, it's really, really, really clever and rare because it, it's actually called a VIP, which is an <laughs> absurd um, uh, collection of letters uh, for a cancer, not a very important person, but a vasoactive intestinal polypeptide carcinoma. Wow. Um, And the joy of a VIP as opposed to pancreatic cancer is it grows very slowly Mm. and therefore is operable. And what happened to your dad and to too many friends and people I know, um, uh, which is to be beyond surgery when you're diagnosed. Uh, when I was diagnosed, I was operable. Yeah, which is so rare. Me. So rare for anything once it's in your pancreas. pancreas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, the lucky one. I, I had a VIP, not pancreatic cancer. I'm so glad they call it VIP. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. <laughs> it's actually, they call it a vipoma, but being an actress, I have to call it VIP. Um, <laughs> Good, yeah, Because yeah. it makes me feel a little bit special. Yeah. And I've always struggled to get behind the red rope, and now <laughs> I have a place there that no one can Coming die. through. <laughs> Coming through, make way. Please read my records. Yes, Miss Williams is in the building. Um, so I um, had that removed, thank God, and um, I'm here to tell the tale. Um, a few months after if it was pancreatic cancer I would have probably died um, but So you were my... diagnosed a year and a half ago that's when the June, June, May, June 2018 Oh okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. so really yeah, last year um, July 16th I had massive surgery removing uh, most of my pancreas and my spleen Wow 
And then I had a small metastasis in my liver, which they microwaved out of me um, <laughs> on 31st of August. So, wow. Um, yeah, and I'm being checked uh, regularly yeah, yeah. for further metastasis. But what was so shocking was that I had been symptomatic. I had been going to doctors for four years saying there are these really weird things they're not major yeah. I'm not quite sure what they are but they're very odd could could we have a little look around and to be fair to the medical profession you know the first symptom was when I drank champagne or ate chocolate I went red <laughs> weirdly red yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but uh you know to you wouldn't give a CT scan to an actress with a champagne allergy I understand <laughs> that and Although now you've heard this, if yeah. it does happen again, yeah. take it seriously. Champagne allergies. Yeah, and I'm not talking like, you know, a normal boozy flush. I'm talking creeping yeah, yeah. redness up your hands wow. and a kind of raised flush on your neck. And um, of course, you know, because I was in my 40s, it was your perimenopausal yeah, yeah. and your anutter. And also because of the nature of my job, I was moving around so much. Mm. Um, I never went to see the same doctor twice yeah. and I was thrown out of various <laughs> specialist clinics. You know, the lupus people said, nah, you've not got lupus. And the, the colon cancer people said, no, it's not colon cancer. And um, so it, um, the road to diagnosis, my connection with Pancreatic Cancer UK is that what we need and what your dad needed and mm. is some test that is not crazily expensive that simply can test for the presence of a pancreatic tumour long before the stage when yeah, your dad yeah. got to or I got to. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, by the time I was operated on, I wasn't holding any food in my body for any significant period of time. Oh, and God. they were still, you know, saying there's nothing wrong with you and it could be IBS and, you know, just <laughs> rubbish. Anyway, I... Um, because of my experience with my dad, all those years of being ill and, and seeing how the medical profession works, I I could not be more loving and supportive of the NHS and have more gratitude to doctors. Mm. But they're not, they haven't got the kit. They yeah, haven't yeah, yeah. got the test. The resources. Um, and it was only when I went to America and had, you know, crazy Screen Actors Guild health insurance that I got a CT scan, which revealed a seven by four centimetre tumour in my pancreas. Oh my God, um, and nobody had ever no, looked at your pancreas in all that time. No, no. And I can see why, as I said, I didn't give any single doctor enough mm. opportunities to do it. But um, I just w want to... It's such a difficult cancer to support, as yeah, you will say, yeah. because by the time anybody knows they've got it, it's usually too late. Yeah, and then they die. And, and you're then like, they oh. die. And for a few years, I'm mean, like amazing people like Suggs and mm. um, have have supported the charity on behalf of their dead relative. But there's, it's not like I again. I don't want to belittle anybody, but with breast cancer, you survive, and so you're there to campaign, and you can see yeah. that there is. Oh no, work I've, to be I've got done. in trouble before for saying that pancreatic yeah. cancer wasn't a fun one, yeah. and yeah. <laughs> and people. I got a lot yeah. of people uh, tweeting me saying, "Well, uh, mm. I have this cancer; it's not fun." Either. I was like, "No, this, sorry, there's not." I, apologies. Yeah. What and I what I mean is, and when I spoke um, an event for PCUK, it's like it's 
no one knows what the pancreas is. Mm. No one knows where it is. No one knows what it does. Whereas like breast cancer, it's like, okay. And they're like, check for lumps, check Mm. for, Mm. you know, skin changes. And it's like, there's there's like a thing you can get your head around yeah. of like oh well boobs are out front you can have a look at them yeah exactly getting to my pancreas yeah. took seven hours oh so, my I mean, God. seven hours in surgery this amazing you know shout out to Dr. Krishna well not he's not doctor he's a surgeon so he's Mr. Krishna Menon who wow. managed to get to my pancreas laparoscopically um, and not mash up my entire internal system but it's really hard to yeah it's so hard and then the symptoms at the moment for pancreatic cancer are very vague and Mm. you know although there are you know head to the pcuk website where you Mm. can see and but they could also be linked to lots of other things and there's so many the event that i spoke to it was at the hazard parliament and it was pcuk and pcrf who another amazing charity who do research fund Mm. and then there's the pancan survivors (laughs) And I felt so bad because I met someone. They were like, oh, I'm from Pancan Survivors. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, who? I didn't think anyone. And they were like, no, there's not a lot of us. No. But there are different types of pancreatic cancer. So obviously, some yeah. people do survive yeah. if you have a different type. The main but in a type. way, I feel survivor's guilt because I didn't have pancreatic cancer. Yeah, and yet, you yeah. know, Pancreatic Cancer UK came to me. And I said, look, I'm really not that famous. You know, I, I've been in a few movies, but uh, nobody really knows who I am. And they said, oh, no, we're not asking you because you're famous. We're asking you because there are so few survivors. Yeah. And, I, and I was like, OK, no, I, well, then I have to say <laughs> something. Um, so I'm sort of saying it's not what I had, but it's only by the grace of God that even with the one I had, that, yeah, that yeah. I, they got it in time to to save my life. So, I, yeah, I just feel... And it's not sort of unrelated to my dad because mm. one of one of his illnesses was cancer and it was in his digestive tract. Mm. And it's that thing of, I mean, in my attempts to get diagnosed, the point was that it, this vipoma, this VIP, releases a hormone when I ate sugar oh. that gave me the most unbelievable diarrhea, like emptying bowels it was unbelievable (laughs) fortunately controllable I'd done my um my exercises after childbirth (laughs) but not and one of the things is the you know one of the last taboos is is shit yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) talking about it I think people would rather talk about death than shit sometimes oh god yeah (laughs) and you know an example of this was uh so I'd get this, but it would be a very short, at first, it was a very short-term response to eating mm. sugar. And so by the time I got to the NHS GP, got an appointment, he said, let me take a stool sample. Mm. It was better. And and they would go, well, we won't take a stool <laughs> yeah, sample yeah. if it's not. Mm. Anyway, this is very boring, but it's leading to an important point. <laughs> um, it got to the point where I was thought, I've got to show them a stool sample <laughs> At the worst. So I got a Bon Maman jar, you know, the one with the red yes. gingham lid. <laughs> Sterilised it and got a beautiful sample, which looked rather like Lapsang Souchong tea, <laughs> and tightened up the lid and put it in three Ziploc bags. And I was in Germany at this point, going to see oh a colonoscopy clinic to try and see if I had colon cancer or some cancer somewhere in my digestive tract. And it was beautiful. It was private. So it was this white place yeah. with orchids. And this lovely woman came and goes, sits here. And there was not a fleck of shit anywhere. <laughs> you wouldn't know that the whole place was designed around looking up your arse. 
and I went into the doctor's office and her name was Katerina and I and she said well would you describe your your symptoms and I just whipped out my form <laughs> and she literally she was on one of those wheelie chairs and she rolled her chair back she said why are you showing this to me I do not want to see this and I was like she's a doctor you're a doctor you're a colon doctor you're a shit doctor yeah. in so many ways uh, <laughs> I'm showing you a jar of shit and come you're, on you're, mate yeah. get on and board and this you should be looking at this jar of shit and going that is extraordinary yeah that should be fascinating yeah. to you that you should, should be, be like happy that should be back. like a dead body to a detective yeah. who did this because how did it happen the names for a VIP yeah. is a list of the symptoms and so it's WD are the first two letters for watery diarrhea and I'm like this is fucking gold dust you're never going to see I am one in ten million you're never going to see another jar of this shit in your life so I want to get out there and say to people if your shit's weird tell somebody find out what a normal shit looks like oh my god because I'd forgotten by that stage yeah that's the trouble I've had IBS for years mm. so then sometimes people ask you and you're like oh my god when was the last time it yeah. was fine yeah. like I don't know what I is normal um, yeah and well, our diets are so and I'm you know and do you recommend a bon maman jar specifically I well I love them for all things yes. and I have a, obviously a great affection for apricot <laughs> jam they remind me of the summer holidays with my dad oh. Warm baguette, yeah, <laughs> big bowl of hot chocolate, and bon maman yeah. got jam, and they are watertight yeah. or shit tight. <laughs> now and we can say officially. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, so we are. I still use them in my kitchen for you know those little leftovers, bit of tuna salad that's left yeah. over. Not I don't anything carry <laughs> shit around in my handbag anymore. <laughs> You'll be pleased to know. I I'm very, well. I'm glad to know today. I wouldn't have minded. I wouldn't have minded. Have You've got it. kids. You, I've got you're kids. Yeah, exactly. Happy. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, the things you have to deal with when you once mm. you, yeah, all squeamishness kind of goes out the water. Yeah, but for me, it's the last taboo. We've got to we've got to talk about shit, yeah. and we have to um, talk. Maybe I should do a shit cast. <laughs> Anyway, um, so you would get people listening. Maybe you wouldn't get the sort of listeners you want. How did you feel? I'm sorry, I'm just laughing so much about bomb my mum. Because when things are normal to you, you're like it's like your barrier goes, doesn't it? I have this with death. Like because death, I talk about it so much. Like I'll ask questions, and I see sometimes, you know, I'm not in the podcast. I think, oh, their face is telling me that was a deeply personal question about their father's death, and I thought it was a fine question, yeah. you know, to ask my dentist about whether they saw the body. And uh, I sort of think, oh right, yeah, because my boundaries, I'm desensitized yeah. in the way I'm sort of opposite to everyone else. And it's the same when you are ill, you know, you know, you have this when you're pregnant, and they they poke around all the time. You get desensitized. Things. And sometimes you tell people things, you're like, oh, I see, yes, you. You aren't in that situation. Yeah. So for you, <laughs> what I've said is really shocking. Yeah. But for me, talking about my shit or what happened, it's like, yeah, it's not, no big deal. Um, so how did you how did you f- cope with, I guess, your own mortality? And so soon after your father's death as well. Like, mm-hmm. that is really, it's not a long time since he passed away. No, I, th- I mean, I, I remember one of the visits to the GP when I was asking for tests was, you know, because they say, what's your family history? And I was like, it's not great. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And, um, but I kept all the tests for colon cancer and bowel cancer kept on, for which there are tests. Yeah, Let's yeah, yeah. just bring it back to the, the point of, of my being here in some sense. Um, you know, kept coming back negative. But I remember halfway through saying, um, will you test 
this perfectly normal shit for <laughs> cancer. Um, uh, falling apart and saying, you know, my dad, my dad had um, colon cancer, and I, and I, that what I, I selfishly or whatever, I wasn't grieving from that was ab- abject fear. Yeah, of course, um, of course, but I think that's perfectly, yeah. perfectly normal. You know, my husband's mother, mother and father died of cancer. Mm. And she uh, had bowel cancer, which was completely missed and not diagnosed properly. So, of course, any time you go to the doctor, there's mm. any you're like, yeah, no, there is a bit of history here that I need. Mm. And you, I feel like that should be on the record, mm. you know, of like sometimes when I've had to say it again, I'm like, my dad died of pancreatic cancer. So, of course, if I have a weird pain in my side mm-hmm. and I feel tired, yeah. yes, I'm turning up in your surgery being like, yeah. and have you checked everything? Because I think it's completely... You've just lived through it. And yeah. it's humans we learn by experience, yeah. don't we? So you're yes. like, well, I've learned. And it, sometimes yeah. you're right. And, you know, actually, on this occasion, I you was right. right. Yeah. Um, and the hilarious German experience, you know, it was a colonoscopy that went up and an endoscopy that went down. And so I thought I'd covered it all. And I <gasps> wow. got the all clear from them. Arise, sat down in the makeup chair in Berlin and said, I definitely don't have cancer. You know, I, it was literally like wow. that. And when I eventually was diagnosed and saw all those people again, they just said, we remember you coming in that day and saying, I yeah. definitely don't have cancer. So they a, just didn't find the pancreas, basically. Well, well, endoscopy and colonoscopy stop short of all the, yeah. the kind of... Uh, Complicated. All, all those, um, what are they called? Things in the digestive tract. You know, all all the um, organs in the middle that actually do the work. Yeah. It just does the tube that leads to and from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the oh criminal was lur- the VIP was lurking uh, up the back stairs. So oh my god! Well, thank God that you that you did get diagnosed. I mean, that's yeah. the. Like I mean, said, it was it was absurd by the by the last few weeks I was in Los Angeles I was filming 16 hour days and we were having to stop filming for the noises coming out of my stomach Wow! that were like a sort of Wellington boot being pulled out of Thames mud oh my god and they would go add action you know I can't bear leaving you you know when will I ever see you doing these scenes with Oscar winner J.K. Simmons these parting scenes and then I go would come out of myself again. Sorry, everybody. That's my lunch. Uh, can we just take that again? And oh JK was just delightful. He'd sort of go, you know, oh, happens to me all the time. You know, let's take that again. <laughs> he was, and oh and my so my God. digestive tract became the subject. Everyone's got headphones. Yeah. I've got a microphone between my boobs. Yeah, of course. They can hear everything. my stomach. And, and so the idea of being, you know, in any way squeamish about talking about yeah, my digestive yeah. tract was just gone, everybody on set. And that's when you found out when you were filming that? Yeah, yeah. Did I, you tell everyone? I had to. I, yeah. I um, when I was trying to fit in doctor's appointment, I was seeing a gastroenterologist again and again and again while I was filming. Every time I had an appointment, we were missing shooting days Um, fortunately the days in America and Monday you start at 6am and you gradually get later as the week goes on so by Thursday and Friday I'd have the mornings off and I was going and having more tests and more tests and on the morning I was diagnosed the she'd done the CT scan she sat me down she said you have a seven by four centimeter um tumor in your pancreas and I the tears started going out I lost a wonderful friend and another actor called Tom Beard pancreatic cancer uh, a year before that and I 
just thought I, that was done. Yeah, I yeah, because you hear it and it's like, oh, okay. And she goes, oh, no, it's not pancreatic cancer. Um, and I was like, oh, okay then. Uh, I, I need to go to the set. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not pancreatic cancer, I'm gay. And she literally got up and held the door wow. handle and said, you have to go and have a biopsy this afternoon to find out what it is. If it's not pancreatic cancer, we need to know what it is. Wow. And um, so I went in, I had the needle biopsy and then filmed the next day. Um, and then I got the result because that gastroenterologist then went on holiday to the south of France. And so the, uh, the guy who'd done the needle biopsy... I was sitting in my hospital bed uh, preoperatively and he came and sat down. He was kind of grisly, Middle Eastern, you know, he must be an Iranian or something. And he sat down and he said, uh, so I see you're an actress. And I was like, yeah. And he said, I've never heard of you. Only in LA. Only in LA do you get shaded by your doctor. Like, all right. Well, I've never heard of you. I'm really good at what I do. I hope you're really good at what you do because you're about to do it. Maybe don't worry about my IMDb right now, mate. Just what's fucking wrong? Doctor Sensitive was the one who told me I had neuroendocrine cancer by email. Um, And I got, I was sitting in my trailer waiting to shoot another scene with JK, which was the farewell scene. And, um, I was running my lines and knock at the trailer door and I opened this email and it said, you have neuroendocrine cancer. And they go, we're ready for you. (laughs) So I went to the set. I walked to the set like that. Oh, I'm putting my head back to kind of make the tears go back in. And the AD said, how are you doing, Olivia? And I was like, if I answer you, we won't be getting any more filming done today. <laughs> um, and so I have the scene on film. Um, what is it like watching that scene? It, it was so weird. Yeah. Because actually after I was operated on and better, I was doing ADR for the scene back in London and I'd never seen it. And I watched the scene silently and I could see my jaw was going and my eyes were like you mm. could see I was really thinking but it was kind of right for the scene yeah, yeah. it's so ridiculous isn't it anyway um, and I said why are we ADRing it they said well you do this really weird laugh halfway through the scene JK says you know so it's just a question of one foot in front of the other and walk away and I went <laughs> it's like this sort of nasal oh, like panic thing it's emotion uh, escaping yeah and and I can remember thinking, what am I doing? Trying to summon up some sort of fake yeah. tragedy that I'm leaving this person. <laughs> I've just been told that I've cancelled. What am I doing here? And, and it's, it's funny because I think sometimes people think with acting, like, oh, you know, you can use it. Like, how wonderful. <laughs> but actually, it's like you, it's like crossing the streams. Yeah. And I've had that before when... Oh, when I was doing terrible fringe theatre and, you know, people were like, oh, just, you can just think about your dad. And I was like, no, I can't because it's so distracting and that pain is hidden and buried and weird. And no, you have to block. Yeah, you've you got to block yeah. all your other stuff. You don't want to see what happens when I let that yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, like you're trying to like... So, yeah, I can imagine that like trying to act a scene which is tragic and sad and requires it, but you're also must be completely in shock at the same time as thinking, I knew something was fucking wrong. Yeah. Like, yeah, that is so... Well, that, I mean, that I'm afraid it doesn't reflect well on my character, but my, you know, I just 
been asked to write a piece about the whole diagnosis thing. And they keep on saying, how did you feel? How did you feel? And you know what? It's Spike Milligan's epitaph. Mm. I told you I was ill. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. told you. And I am such a person. I may have inherited this from my other parent, the, the, the need to be in the right was mm. so strong that actually I was really glad I had fucking cancer because you bastards yeah, were saying say I was fine. Yeah. And do you know what? It's a VIP. <laughs> you know, I was so... I The sense of I told you so almost mm. overcame any other sense of tragedy. And this is, again, why I'm here talking about the importance of diagnosis because people can only start to do something and help you when they know what's wrong yeah, with you. And, yeah. and uh, the sense of powerlessness when you know there's something wrong with you. And I, it's, it's awful because I know that there are conditions that are mental conditions which are just as bad as physical conditions that, that need treatment that where you think you're ill physically and you have a mental condition, you know, I know this is a minefield, but um, I could see people lose interest. I could see yeah, the yeah. deadness behind the eyes. It's 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 difficult, and yeah, pancreatic VIP or mm-hmm. pancreatic cancer, mm-hmm. whatever you have it, it. That's why I've ended up talking about it a lot as well. Of like, it's deeply unsexy. It's deeply confusing, mm-hmm. and what. I found so staggering is that, you know, I grew up thinking that my dad died of a very rare disease. Mm. I thought it was a very rare, weird disease. Mm. And then once I started doing the show and talking about it and PCRF and PCUK got in touch and they were like, oh, no, it's the fifth biggest cancer killer. And I was like, what? Mm. Like, I remember going to my mum being like, guess what? Mm. It's the fifth one. Mm. And guess what? It's funny hasn't changed since 1970. Mm. And my mum was like, oh, because we just thought it was a very rare, weird thing. Because you never meet anyone who's who's had it. it. Yeah. And, and having very very much several removes but watched what happened with this friend of ours Tom you know that that you end up sort of feeling hugely grateful to the sort of hospice staff and the people who get and 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 because it of the sense of regret and of what might have been you can't actually take on trying to find a diagnosis that's going to help people that don't even know they're sick yet. It's a really difficult um, funding project to sell uh, to people because you don't know you've got it. (laughs) Um, And to find out you've got it is not um, a happy outcome, but we can do something. They can do something for you if they know you've got it. Yeah, yeah, if it's caught early enough, but as with all things. But Mm. yeah, well, Olivia... (laughs) I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you. This is I've never had a guest before. It's really been like, wow, there was a lot of doors and bon maman jars <laughs> and German doctors that got you to this room now. Yes. I had a story and I'm really glad you gave me the opportunity <laughs> to tell it. <laughs> no, I'm so <clears throat> I'm so glad that you that they you were right in a way mm. and they they found it and mm. operated and you're still here now and yeah. obviously I know with cancer, they'll still be monitoring you. Yeah, we'll do all the touching words that all the actors should do yes, if you're listening. Yeah, spit and turn around. Yeah, and I think that's incredible. And like, you know, what else can you... I don't don't feel guilty, just, yeah, good. If somebody you. should survive these things. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, and, and you know, the, the way my... Going back to my dad, mm. you know, the way he approached... 
his illness was completely inspirational and he kept on going back in and I the fight was worth it you know and that that's what I yeah what I took away from him there were many great years after diagnosis yeah. and um and if we're talking about legacy I I don't know about heaven or hell or spirits or spirits being retained in robin redbreasts bouncing on your garden or but I think the sort of strength of character that he gave me is mm. is his legacy and um that's another thing I wanted to bring here yeah <laughs> well thank you so much for bringing that spirit and talking about Mr Graham Williams <laughs> thank you thank you Thank you so much for listening. As I said at the beginning, if you head to www.demandsurvivalnow.org.uk, you can sign a petition to help the government recognise the emergency that currently is pancreatic cancer. And if you want more information, please do head to the PCUK website or PCRF as well. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was edited by Kate Holland with thanks to Whistledown Studios and the music was provided by The Glue Ensemble. And remember, you're not alone. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.